All right. Well, I'm Mark, and uh, for those of you who've seen me before, this is it. Sorry. Um, if you haven't. <laughs> so anyways, good morning. I was really glad that uh, I could be here today, and I just want to offer my congratulations because we're really stoked for you guys. have been praying for you for a while, and we know that you guys are welcoming a new pastor very soon, so we're really stoked and excited about what God is going to do in and through uh, the team that God has developed here uh, to reach you and Teresa's community as you guys do that together, so it's pretty cool. And I'm also honored to really take part in this series of stories of the kingdom. Um, it's a great, and I think a lot of times we read them, but we just kind of pass over them. We just read them, oh, that's cool, whatever, and we just kind of miss it, and we miss the significance sometimes of what Jesus was teaching us. Now, I have some good news for some of you. Like, if you're new today, like, if you're new here, maybe this is your first time here, your first time in a long time, welcome. I mean, we're really, really glad that you're here. And, you know, maybe some of you are here today because, you know, you're kind of the toe dippers. And I understand the toe dippers. Like, you know, the water, do I really want to go in? I'm going to test it out a little bit and see. I'm not really sure where I land with Jesus yet. If that's you, cool. Be here. Enjoy. If you're here today, maybe because you're coming back from a long time away, like you don't know what the story, there's a whole lot of story behind your story, and then you're now at the point where like, I'm coming back, but I'm just not really quite sure about this yet. You know, I was hurt in the past, but I'm kind of taking another step back into this. Maybe you're here today because someone promised you lunch afterwards. Maybe you're here today because you heard there's a lot of pretty people here. If that's you, Welcome. And we're really, really glad that you are here. And uh, we want you to keep coming. Because the more you come and the more you, you, you engage Jesus, the more he changes your life. And you're going to find exactly what I found years and years ago as an, as an older kid. I'm 18 years old. I found that Jesus makes all the difference. He changed my life, and if you keep coming and you, and you keep engaging to Jesus through his word, you are going to find exactly what we all, must, much of us experience on a regular basis of the difference that Jesus makes daily in the fullness of Jesus that we can find. Now, if you're here again, if you're kind of new there, I just want you to know that, that uh, this message really isn't for you. Like, now, I'm not saying you can't, you, you, you can't handle it. I'm not saying that you know, if you're new, you don't really know where you land with Jesus yet. I'm not saying that you can't apply this because if you do, you can apply this to your life and it will absolutely bring blessing to you. But today, for a moment, I want to talk to those of you who are followers of Christ. Because the things that we're going to learn today is going to be a little uncomfortable. And I'm okay with that. I love, I love uncomfortable I love making people uncomfortable, not because, well, I mean, that sounds awkward. Um, I, I love making people uncomfortable, not because to make them uncomfortable, because, because sometimes the word of God is uncomfortable. It is, right? There are things in here that, I, okay, I, I'm a professional Christian, I'm not, I'm just, but the people say that I am. There's things in the Bible I don't like. There's things in the Bible I struggle with. But if it's in there, as a Christian, I can't opt out. As a Christian, you can't opt out of this. This is stuff that you're supposed to do. So if you're new today, you don't necessarily, this isn't necessarily for you. So you have my permission to flick the person next to you if they're not paying attention. If they're squirming, you say, focus. Like, I'm cool with that. But for those of you who know Jesus, 
This is for us. Today we're going to talk about something called an elephant in a room. Now, an elephant in a room basically is an, Engl- is, it's, it's, it's an idiom, that uh, English idiom for an obvious truth that's being ignored or goes unaddressed. It's, it applies to an obvious problem that, 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 that there's this risk that no one really wants to discuss, right? You know, so what are some of the elephants in this room? What are some of the things that, you know, maybe, maybe that are too big or too hurtful or too painful or too recent? It's just not worth the hassle to uncover. Now, obviously, you're not going to answer that question for me, and I get it. I understand, because the reason, the, the whole point about an elephant in the room is that you don't address it, because if you do address it, it's going to destroy everything, so you just kind of keep it under, you kind of brush it under the rug a little bit, and as Christians, we do that really, really well, don't we? As Christians, I don't know, okay, maybe not you, but maybe the people that I deal with and the people that I connect with, you know, we're really, really, really good at looking good. We're really good at making sure everything is looking all right and that we are just killing it in every aspect of our lives, but deep down there's something there that is we're struggling with, and deep down there's something that we're just not dealing with in our faith. So what are the elephants in your room? What are the things going on in your home or your workplace or your your relationships that are maybe too big or just not worth it? So you just kind of put it under the rug and hope no one asks a question. See, I'm not expecting you to say anything. I understand that because we live in a world really where there's, we're familiar with hurt and pain, aren't we? Like we live in a world where, where we're familiar with, with, with the, the drastic effects of people's decisions in our lives because it seems like sometimes we're living in a situation where everyone seems to be doing that what's right in their own eyes. It's not always good. People are making some dumb mistakes. People are doing some dumb things. See, some of you, we live in a world where there's drunk drivers, adultery, abuse, poverty, dishonesty, bullies, misunderstandings, disappointments, gossip, and accidents. Like we live in a world where hurt happens. Like we live in a world where you and I, we, we, we hurt, and our hurt came from a circumstance that we can look back on a calendar, and you can look back this day on this day, man, that happened, and that just kind of changed the, the, the course of my life a little bit, or, or this was an ongoing thing, and it started here, and it continued and continued and continued, and this is what changed me. Some of you, your pain and struggle came from an accident. It's no one's fault. It just happened. For some of you, your pain came from something that someone did on purpose. Our daughters, when they were young, when our daughters like, it wasn't on purpose, it was on the purpose. Because Ryland did something and it was on the purpose. Some of you are struggling today. Some of you are kind of carrying a weight because someone did something to you on the purpose. See, we live in a world where we're familiar with this kind of stuff, aren't we? For most of us, your pain and your hurt has a person attached to it. So who comes to mind right now? And I'm gonna get you to do something that you don't wanna do, and I don't care because I'm not your pastor. I'm not gonna be here tomorrow. So I'm not going to even know if you do this, but just pretend for a moment. Pull out your phones or your piece of paper and a pen. And I want you to do for a moment. Maybe just into your head. 
I want you to write down someone's name that's attached to your pain. I want you to write down the name. And if you're sitting next to the name, write someone else's name, but you know who you're talking about, right? It's this jack right here. I'm not messing with this guy. So, okay, if that's the person, that's fine. It's someone else, okay? Write a code name down. But we all have a name. Because today we're going to address an elephant that is affecting your relationships, that affects your church, your work, and at home. And this elephant in our lives is our tendency to withhold forgiveness from those that hurt us or hurt the people we're close to. That name, for many of us, we're struggling with because we have not forgiven them. Aren't you glad you came today? <laughs> Pick the wrong Sunday to come, Mom. Because even mentioning the idea of forgiving, we go through a myriad of emotions, right? Because we're not good at forgiving. We are not, we are not good at forgiving. We are much better at ignoring, right? Oh, we forgive, yeah, we forgive, but I don't, I don't really know. We're better at justifying. We're better at holding grudges. How many? Anyone? Good grudge holders? We're better at bitterness, aren't we? And if we're honest, most of us aren't thinking about who I need to forgive, but rather we're thinking about where can I draw the line on forgiveness? See, we're not worried about should I forgive. We're more worried about where's the line that I don't have to forgive anymore. I don't have to cross that line because they just did too much. It was too big. It was too whatever. I'm not crossing that line anymore. Um, on October 2nd, 2006, it was a typical fall day in a normally quiet and peaceful rolling Amish farmlands of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. But that peace was shattered um, when the sound of gunfire was heard inside an Amish school. This guy named Charlie Roberts was a milk truck driver who um, served the local community, and many of the people knew this individual, um, including some of the victims and the families. Um, I think it's nine years earlier from that day, um, his wife Amy gave birth to their first child, and that baby girl died 20 minutes after she was born. And apparently Charlie really struggled with that and it greatly affected him and he never forgave God for the death of that little girl and eventually planned to get revenge. And on the morning of October 2nd, uh, Robert said goodbye to his two children at the bus stop and then drove to the West Nickel Mines Amish school. And when he walked in with his guns, he told everybody to get out, all the adults and the boys to get out. And then he had all the 10 girls lie down facing the blackboard and they tied their hands and their feet. He told the girls that he was sorry for what he was about to do. He said, but I'm angry at God and I need to punish some Christian girls to get even with him. And I'm going to make you pay. And he says this, I'm going to make you pay for my daughter. And then he began shooting each of the girls before he finally shot himself. And uh, when the police broke into the school, two of the girls were dead and another died in the arms of the state trooper a few minutes later. Now, I know your story is not this tragic. 
And I know that's kind of like a deep end of the story, and I get it, but you have a story, don't you? Like, you have a story. I, I have a story, and it's my story. It's not your story, so I get it. It may not be that big, but you and I have a story where we're struggling, and there's a name of a person that we're struggling with. And you are there with me thinking, where is the line that I don't have to cross anymore? Because they've done this. You know, how much is enough? How much is too much? What's big enough? When can I actually stop? You know, how often do I have to forgive someone who keeps frustrating me, keeps offending me, who keeps disappointing me? They're going to get better. I'm sorry. I'm going to do it better the next time. And they keep doing it and doing it. What's the line? Now, we know the spiritual answer, but let's be honest. We're still asking the question. See, when is enough enough? What do I do with the person that I wrote down? Thankfully, we're not alone in this struggle because people who walked with Jesus battled some of the same exact questions that you and I are wrestling with. And uh, so the good news is in Matthew chapter 18, if you have your Bible, you can open that up and we're gonna read that together. We're gonna have some of it on the screen. But the reality is, and the good news here is that you're not alone in this struggle, but the warning is this, and I'm gonna give you the warning straight out. You're probably not gonna like what Jesus is gonna say. You're not. I'm not. But if he said it, like it or not, we need to obey it. Verse 21, it says, Then Peter, one of his boys, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, this is now, understand, seven times. He was being very, very gracious and spiritual in this answer because the rabbis of the day said three times was enough. If you forgive someone once, okay, two, okay, three strikes. Maybe this is where three strikes, maybe this is where baseball got it from. I don't know. Three strikes, you're out. This is what it is. And they made it say, if you, if you forgive someone three times, you don't have a responsibility anymore to forgive that individual. And Peter's saying, hey, you know what? I know Jesus, he, he's on another level than everyone else. He's like a little bit better than everyone. You know what? So Jesus, okay, we're not going to go three times. How about seven times? That's a lot. You've been saying seven a lot in kind of your talks. How about seven? Is that enough? And in this moment, Peter, it, it, it's revealed that Peter didn't really understand. He, he kind of didn't understand what forgiveness really was. He, he thought his assumption was that forgiveness was for the benefit of the offender. Now, I mean, there is some benefit to being forgiven as an offender. I mean, there's a salvation, and we get that. But if Peter thought, when I forgive someone, it's for their benefit. It's why we often say when someone hurts us, we say, you owe me what? an apology. And we wait until they give us that apology before we grace them with our forgiveness. And we feel justified to do that. You know, why should I do them the favor of forgiving them for what they did to me when they owe me restitution? So Peter's saying, hey, I'll be the nice guy here and I'll forgive them seven times, but after that, they're on their own. And when he was asking Jesus, he was, he was asking Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive people, especially when they don't deserve it, God? 
Jesus, where do I draw the line? And I love what Jesus says here. If you have your Bibles, you can read it. It says, because Jesus, not seven times, but two times. If you've never read your Bible, you know this is wrong, okay? It's not two times. See, read your Bible. Don't trust everything on screen. What? It's not even on the screen. Go ahead and put it on the screen. It's okay. It's my bad. It says seven times. No, but two times. No, he says no. Not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. See, with Jesus here, he was removing the limits of forgiveness. See, no one can ever say, I have forgiven enough. It's grunge time, baby. See, Peter was asking for a measuring stick, and Jesus told him to practice forgiveness and forget the stick. And then he goes on, and he uses a parable to really help him understand it. So in verse 23, it says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, he goes on to explain what this looks like. He says, The kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the debtors who, brought, um, so who was brought in who owed millions of dollars, millions of dollars, he couldn't pay, so the master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Now, this wasn't out of the ordinary for that time period. Maybe this ruler was like, hey, listen, man, I've got to cut bait here. This is a bad deal. I'm going to get what I can in this because it's just not working. So he's just selling everything. He's like, hey, you owe me. If you can't pay, time's up. But the man fell down before his master and begged him. He says, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. This guy was pleading for more time. Like, he's like, come on, millions and millions of dollars, lifetimes worth of money. There's no way this dude was going to be able to repay this guy. And yet he's asking for more time. And this merciful king, instead of merely giving him more time, says, then the master was filled with joy, or feel, sorry, was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. Now, if you can put yourself in the shoes of this guy for a moment. I mean, I know it's, it's a long time ago, but imagine for those of you who have a mortgage, those of you who have school debt, those of you who have other debt, imagine instead of the creditor saying, all right, time's up, let's load it in, bring it in. If you can't pay, I'm sorry, I gotta take your home, I'm gonna take whatever, Instead of them doing that, they say, you know what? Instead of you paying me, I will cancel your debt. How many of you would be like, what? Yeah. Come on. Maybe not. Okay, maybe that's just me. Okay, okay, I get that. Someone says, Mark, your mortgage is paid. I'd be like, thanks, man. That's terrible. No. Dude, this is lifetime's worth of cash. This dude didn't have to pay back. What we, what we consider, this is, uh, multiply that by tens of millions, tens of thousands. He's got the greatest gift of having his enormous debt forgiven. And he walks out of that place, and instead of going to prison, he's debt free. He sees someone who owes him some money. It says, but when the man left the king, he went to his fellow servants who owed him a few thousand bucks, three thousand dollars, don't say bucks, three thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. 
And his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. He said, be patient with me and I will repay it, he pleaded. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? Like, this is super familiar, right? Because, because the second servant it really echoed the exact same plea that this guy had. He fell to his knees. He begged for patience. He begged for more time. He, he didn't ask for his debt to be canceled. He just asked for more time. But the difference between these two situations is this guy could have actually paid it back if he had a bit more time. He could have just given him a little bit more grace, a little bit more mercy, and said, okay, you know, I'm going to give you a couple more of this, a couple more time. Just You can pay this back. The first guy, there's no chance. This guy, there was a chance he could pay it back. But his creditor would not, not could not, but would not wait. And he had the man arrested and put him in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And it's at this point in the story, you start talking to your Bible, right? Like, what? Are you kidding me? What, what, are, you, what are you serious? Like, you just got forgiven all of this stuff, and then now you just can't forgive someone a little bit? What's your problem? This man owed multiple lifetimes worth of money, and yet the king canceled his debt. And he can't forgive a man who just needed a little bit more time? When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. Makes sense. And they went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. The king called the man. Sorry, um, the king called in the man that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Now, to be honest, when we read this story, we hear this story, we're actually kind of glad here, right? You're, you're rooting against this guy, aren't you? Like you wanted him to find justice. You know, we're, we're, we love this story because the bad guy lost and the good guy won. And then Jesus just messes everybody up. And he says, because you can imagine everybody in the crowd is going, yeah, it serves him right. He, I can't believe he did this. And Jesus says, guess what? This is deeper. Here's the story. This is what I want you to do with this. He makes it personal. And he says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now we need to keep in mind, this is, this is not a salvation thing. Like Jesus isn't saying that, you know, this isn't between God and the sinner in the sense that, you know, Jesus isn't, don't read eternal judgment into this. Jesus is saying that, okay, God's not going to forgive you if you don't forgive others. The theme of this parable is forgiveness between two people not salvation of lost sinners. See, the Greek word for forgiveness, it it means to send away, it means to depart, it means to yield up, which basically means to send away from ever being in the presence of either party again. Here's the offense, here's your offense on me. I'm going to yield this up, I'm going to send this away, and we are never going to discuss this and have to deal with this again between ourselves. 
This means that if a brother offends me and I forgive him, I send that offense away from myself and from him, and it's not going to be brought up again. When we send it away, when we forgive, we relinquish our right to get even. We relinquish our right for it to retaliate. Essentially what we're doing is we're canceling the debt. We transfer the person from our system of justice to God's. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that, uh, you know, we need to give more people an opportunity to hurt us. It doesn't mean that we neglect justice or, 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 or the circumstances that go along with those things. It doesn't mean that um, everything goes back to the way that it was. But forgiveness means that we refuse to hold the debt against them. See, Peter saying, don't look for a place to draw the line. In a sense, it almost doesn't matter what they did or how many times they did it. You need to cancel their debt. You need to forgive them. And as we're talking about forgiveness um, between two people, through this parable, we learned some really valuable lessons. One of the lessons we learned here is that uh, unforgiveness leads to prison. See, forgiveness is a choice that we make. And every time we choose not to forgive, we're like the unforgiving servant and we're in danger of prison. Now, God's not going to put you in prison because you didn't forgive someone. But he will allow you to put up walls of bitterness and resentment that will box you in like a prison. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22 says, an evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. See, refusing to forgive is like to push the self-destruction button in your life. Some of you, you, you get this, don't you? You understand this. You, you're struggling through this, and you know the prison that you're in because of that, because of unforgiveness. It has a way of showing up in other areas of our life and against other people. It's a family that we're really connected with. And the grandparents are... Um, wonderful, wonderful, godly people, but some things have happened in their lives and they had some struggle forgiving and it caused them to leave the mission field. And it was tough and they're kind of working through that, but it's amazing how that unforgiveness that was in their lives, I can't really tell you the whole story, but this is something that we're working through and dealing with, that that unforgiveness, it's amazing how that travels down to the next generation and then the next generation, right? When you don't deal with it, when you're still holding on to it, Guess what? That travels down. And now this family isn't talking to their sons. Daughter, and now those daughter and sons aren't talking to their kids. Different situations. But they learned what unforgiveness looks like. And it traveled down. 
See, when you choose not to forgive, when you hold on to that debt, not let it go, you chain yourself to the pain and the hurt. You think it's about them. It's actually about you. I'm not going to give them the benefit of me forgiving them, but actually you're holding on to that debt. You're holding on to that bitterness. You're chaining yourself to the pain and the hurt, and you drag around into relationship after relationship after relationship that bitterness. And this is so serious stuff because not only does it create a wall between you and the other people around you, but it also creates a wall between you and God. So much so that when Jesus is talking to his, is talking to, um, his disciples and he's talking to people, you know, giving um, an offering, he says, no, 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 if there's something wrong between you and another person, you need to make that right before you offer this sacrifice. Brother and sister in Christ, um, let me just lovingly tell you something here, that you can't live in the fullness of God if you don't forgive. You can fake it real well. But you can't live in the fullness of God unless you forgive. Anger and bitterness and resentment from an unforgiving spirit, it's going to erode your joy. It's going to strain your relationships. It's going to block that flow of God in your life. And it will imprison you. Now again, I don't know you or your story, but I can probably tell you that some of you are in prison today. You're still holding on. What they did to you, they keep doing to you. See, another thing we learn here is that uh, you've been forgiven. You need to forgive. The worship team is going to come up as I kind of finish, close this here. But um, see, we like the part when we are forgiven, right? We loved, anyone love to be forgiven? Yes, me too. But we struggle with the part where we have to forgive other people. Because honest, let's be let, straight up. We love when we are forgiven, but we want forgiveness for us, but we want judgment for them, right? Let's, come on, be fair, be real. But the Bible's saying this. We don't, we don't have it both ways here. See, this is often where we plead our story, right? Do you ever plead your story before God? But God, if you only knew, right? God, God, do you understand what's really going on in my life? I mean, if you understood my story. Mark, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just a guest speaker. You don't know my story. Because if you did know my story, man, you would give me an out. You would say, Mark, it's okay. You know what? I, I get it. That's tough. You got an out on this. For some of you, your pain is, is still there and the wounds are super, super deep and I get it. Mark, if you only knew my past pain, what my family did to me, I can't forgive them. I won't forgive them. Not again. Um, that story... That Amish uh, community in the midst of their grief over their shocking loss. The Amish community did something extraordinary. They didn't cast blame. They didn't point fingers. 
They didn't hold a press conference with attorneys at their sides. Instead, they reached out with grace and compassion towards the killer's family. That afternoon, the shooting, after it happened, an Amish grandfather of one of the girls who was killed expressed forgiveness towards the killer, Charlie Roberts, and he explained that forgiveness means not holding a grudge, adding that the acid of bitterness eats the container it holds. The Amish community members visited and comforted Robert's widow parents and parents-in-law. One Amish man held Robert's sobbing father in his arms reportedly for as long as an hour just to comfort him. Of the 75 people at the killer's uh, burial, over half were Amish, including parents who had just buried their children a day or so before. They hugged the gunman's widow and the members of the family. They also brought food and flowers to the killer's home. They actually set up a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. And it's ironic that this killer who was tormented by the premature death of his young daughter, he never forgave God for her death, yet after he cold-bloodedly shot 10 innocent Amish girls, the Amish almost immediately forgave him and showed compassion towards his family. An Amish midwife who had actually been involved in, 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 in birthing several of these girls that were murdered by the killer says that they were planning on taking food to the family's house, and she said this, it's only possible if you have Christ in your heart. Some of you have um, had some horrible things done to you. And I am truly, truly sorry. I really am. So this is going to sound incredibly insensitive. But you don't get a pass. You can't let that pain be an excuse to not forgive because what Jesus is saying here forgiveness is not a suggestion it's the responsibility of the child of God as Christians we are called to live by a higher standard and yes it hurts but it's not an excuse do you realize how much you have been forgiven this is the implication here do you realize how much you have been forgiven how much times God has forgiven you seven times 70 times seven or more and what he's saying here is that you need to show that same mercy that was shown to you and I know they don't deserve it I know they don't deserve it I know they don't deserve it but guess what neither do you You were forgiven a debt you could never pay. You need to forgive. Because at the cross, you and I lost our right to not forgive others. So now what? This is what we're going to do. And I I'm not going to be here, so I can't check up on you and do this, but you'll know inside. You can fake it all you want, but you're going to live in that bitterness and that pain. But this is what you're going to do. That name you wrote down, that name you thought in your head, the name you didn't want to write down because you didn't think that you wanted to do that? You didn't want to participate? You have a name. Some of you have many names. 
of people. He's like, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to push it away, you know, and I know it's there, but no one else needs to know. I'm just going to keep going, and I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I'm just going to hold on to that, and I'm still mad. And every time I see them, I go the other way, I go this way, and you're just mad. What you're going to do is my prayer for you today is that you are going to allow God to give you the power to cancel their debt. To let God carry that weight. To say it's over, it's done with. And I'm going to refuse to pick up that hurt again. Because see, here's the cool thing about forgiveness. If you do that, if you do that, and I know it's hard, and it's not a one-time thing, it's an ongoing thing, you've got to keep doing it, you've got to keep doing it, I get it, but I can guarantee you this, if you do that, here's the promise. <laughs> Just like what happens if you don't forgive, you go to prison, when you forgive, it brings freedom. Forgiveness may not change the person that hurt you, Right? They're not going to come running back. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. They, may never say, they may never say they're sorry. And they may say they're sorry but never mean it. But it'll change your attitude towards them. It's going to hurt still. But it won't raise that same resentment and anger that destroys your life. Friends, um, forgiveness... It's for your benefit. It's for your freedom. Who do you need to forgive? Because just as you have been forgiven, you need to forgive. And when you do, as hard as it is, the promises that you will find freedom. So child of God, you don't have a choice. Because you've been forgiven a debt that you can't repay. Let's forgive. Let's change our culture Let's change our world by not allowing bitterness to destroy. Like what would it look like just for a moment? Can you imagine if we as a church, a collective church, decided that you know we're going to be debt cancelers? Because it's in then we find freedom. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given to us and this opportunity that, that you have just kind of given us to kind of wrestle with some stuff that we don't like to hear, that we don't want to listen to. But it's so important because it's truth. Father, I pray that you would bless us and guide us as, uh, as we kind of wrestle with these, uh, um, like, yeah, your call upon our lives. We believe that you, you said it for a reason and that we need to listen to it because we have been forgiven much. We need to forgive. Thank you, God. Amen.